Well, a few things up front, my brothers and sisters today. First of all, we want to remember what this day is all about, a very special day for the, the community here in, in the village of Clyde. And uh, we want to thank the, the firemen and the ladies auxiliary for their service to the community, right? That's what it's all about. It's about people who are giving of their time and their energy for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the group as a whole, for the benefit of the community. That's what service is all about. So we're here to thank our, our friends in the fire department and in the ladies auxiliary group and for everything that they're doing, that they have done for us. Um, unfortunately, we're hearing in the news the exact opposite spirit of service. Okay, We're hearing about Catholic clergy who are doing the exact opposite. Who are not giving of themselves to serve the community, but they're taking from the community and sucking it dry for their own benefit. And I want to address this. It's a very serious issue, and I apologize ahead of time for two things. Number one, I, I try my best to keep my homilies to about 12 minutes, and I usually do that. This one, I'm just going to talk, okay? And it's probably going to be a little, a little bit longer. I'm going to give a second. I'm going to talk about this on the Sunday homily as, as well. Uh, the, the first Sunday in, in uh, September, I'm going to speak about it as well. It really needs to be addressed. I don't have the time to prepare a homily to make it, you know, really succinct and tight. So I'm going to speak for my heart. Uh, number two, I apologize ahead of time because this will be the heaviest homily you will have ever heard from me up until this point in my ministry here. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Assumption. What is this all about? Well, it's about the gift that God gave to the Blessed Mother to preserve her from the corruption of the grave. And we look at our first reading, and we see an image of this woman. And this, this image of this woman is, she's a beautiful woman, but she's going through labor pains. Okay, She is in a battle with a dragon, and that's the devil. Okay? And the devil wants to destroy her and corrupt her. And he wages incessant war against her. But God preserves her from the attack of the devil. One of the ways that the devil attacks her, if you notice in our first reading, it says his tail sweeps down a third of the stars of heaven and casts them to the earth. What are these stars? These stars, many interpreters look at them as angels, okay, so that when Lucifer fell from heaven, he took with him a third of the stars, a third of the angels, a third of the angelic host. I, and I think that's a valid interpretation. But another interpretation that's very valid, it would be difficult for me to prove this in a short time, I have to show you different passages in the book of Daniel and whatnot. These stars also symbolize the bishops of the Catholic Church. Okay. The devil knows that if he's going to corrupt the church, he begins with the clergy. All evil in the church begins with the clergy, and particularly the bishops. Corrupt their doctrine and corrupt their lifestyles, and you've corrupted the church. Nonetheless, even though he is successful, you notice he swiped down a third of the stars. There's two-thirds left. And the woman is ultimately preserved by God. There is a gift of incorruptibility given to the church that is inalienable. And no matter how much evil 
attacks the church, it cannot ultimately, the devil can win the battle, but it can't win the war. Ultimately, the incorruptibility of the church is a gift given to it and guaranteed to it by God. And God, by his grace, has always guaranteed there being good bishops, good priests, good laity. There always will be, from the beginning until the end when Jesus comes again. That doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. We have to fight corruption because it exists. And we're seeing it right now. This is a whole new level of corruption. We began with the priest abuse, sex abuse scandal. Okay, mind you, with the parents out there, I'm going to be very careful and mindful that we have children amongst us, so I'm going to try to use language that goes over their heads. Okay? We started with this abuse scandal with the priests, but what we're looking at now, and the big figure out there, is Cardinal McCarrick, former Cardinal McCarrick. Okay? It hasn't been a hundred years since a cardinal has been asked to step down from his position as cardinal. And the Pope has removed him from the cardinal. Okay, because of these revelations that have been taking place. Substant, well, substant, I'm not into accusations that just fly out there and there's no proof. These are well-substantiated charges against this guy. And he's ended his life and his ministry in utter disgrace. Okay? And he deserves it because of what he's done. And the roots that he has basically pulled off uh, throughout the course of his, his ministry. Now... This is so. What we're looking at here is: Wait a second. This just doesn't have to do with priests. We got a bishop involved now, okay? And what we're seeing is that the priest abuse scandal is a function of a larger issue of general corruption against the virtue of chastity amongst the clergy, going all the way up to the top. That's what we're looking at. It's not like these, you know, these random pedophiles just somehow. Turn up in the church. A culture of corruption and sin against the virtue of chastity is first created, and then that provides an environment within which the really bad guys, the pedophiles, can exist. Okay? So what we're looking at now is that the horizons are being broadened. And we're looking at the truth of the matter. That this is a this is a bigger problem, and it isn't just having to do with kids. It's, in general, sins against the virtue of chastity amongst the clergy. Now, I want to make it clear to you, I've got no concept of stats. I have no concept. I've got no numbers, no percentages in my mind. I could probably do some research and maybe find out, but I don't think we know. So, how many priests, how many, what percentage of bishops are living these uh, sinful lifestyles? I really don't know. Could it be a third? Look, in our reading today, the devil sweeps down a third of the stars. I don't know. I really don't. In my experience, as a kid growing up, I was in St. Rita's in Webster. I had Father John Reed. He's a perfectly fine priest. He gave a good example. I've never, I've never personally experienced any of this in my journey in the Catholic Church. Okay? When I went to seminary, there, were no, there was no sexual promiscuity whatsoever amongst the seminarians. Now, I do, and I said this to a daily mass people, I was very disappointed about... Some of my fellow seminarians' use of alcohol, okay, and others of us were like, what are you guys doing? Okay, so there was some problems there, but I can say, in my experience, there is no problem with sexual misconduct. Nothing. Nonetheless, what I want to say is this. One priest, one bishop, 
who lives a life contrary to the virtue of chastity is one too many. There should be zero, nothing, among, of this kind of activity amongst the clergy. Nothing. Okay? When a lay person commits a sin against chastity, it's a bad sin. Okay? But as far as serious sins go, as far as mortal sins go, it's down at the bottom of the rung. When a clergyman whose person has been consecrated to Jesus Christ for sacred service commits a sin against chastity, it's sacrilege. Okay? And it's one of the worst sins that you could possibly commit. So amongst the clergy, you're taking it to a whole new category of sin. And it's very, very serious. Um, and there, there needs to be no room for it. So I'm going to make three points in this talk, and then I'll make three points on the first Sunday of, of September. My first point is this. We have to understand what the nature of a priestly vocation is. There are three signs that are clear indicators that God is calling a man to become a priest. Number one, he has to be psychologically normal. He has to be emotionally mature. And he's got to have, he's got to be sexually integrated in his psychosexual development. He can't have any strange inclinations that are deviant from the natural inclinations in that area. Alright? That's the first requirement. And on top of that, he's got to have some positive virtue. He's got to have some good habits. Can't have bad habits. Can't have addictions. Okay? Or problems in these areas. That's the first requirement. The second sign is that he's got to have the right motives. He can't be getting into the priesthood for purposes of self-aggrandizement. You know, like, I can't live a normal life like everybody else. You know? And so I don't want to be just a weirdo. So, hey, oh, look at this. There's this profession that I can do where I become the center of attention. And it all becomes about me. And I get a lot of social acceptance and even applause. All the while, I'm using this institution as a hideout for my corrupt behavior. Alright, so anyways, the motive has to be... I want to be saved. I want to work for the salvation of souls and for God's glory. That's got to be the motive of the priest. Number three, he's got to have the intellectual capability to know what he's got to know, to discern and to lead a community and to teach what he's got to teach. Okay, so there's got to be some kind of intellectual capabilities there. My brothers and sisters, the problem of this issue with the abuse scandal amongst priests, and now we're looking at bishops, superiors of religious houses, rectors of seminaries. These guys didn't even have the first sign of a vocation. They should never have been ordained. They don't have a calling to the priesthood. Okay? And uh, Okay, so that's one point. It's the second point. It's a failure of fraternal correction. So what happens is this. You get a guy in seminary who's a little confused about his sexuality. All right? He's kind of disoriented. An older seminarian or a seminarian who's more corrupt than him, possibly with the knowledge of and consent even, at least passive consent of the formators in the seminary, look the other way while this other seminarian attaches himself to this guy because he smells weakness. He's not, this guy's confused. So now I'm going to 
vampire myself and, and attach myself to him and corrupt him. And then that happens multiple times, and maybe it's coming from the top down, and a culture of corruption festers like a cancer. Okay? And then these guys, what they do is they start winking at each other's moral indiscretions. Okay? Even maybe joking about them. Then they get ordained. Alright? And then as they climb the ladder, they're in a position to recommend to recommend advancements of their buddies. So it's an old boys club. Johnny and Tommy and Bobby know each other for the past 40 years because they were in seminary together. And here they are uh, scratching each other's back and helping each other up the ladder of the hierarchy and covering each other's tracks. It begins with them winking at each other's moral indiscretions, and you know how it ends? It ends with a system of blackmail. Okay? Such that if you out me, I out you. And then a silence, a veil of silence, covers these guys when they need to be speaking out and correcting each other. The bad conscience of the priest binds his tongue. Okay? Take Cardinal McCarrick. I can guarantee you you couldn't find a single homily that that guy has ever preached about sexual morality, about personal sexual morality. Starts talking about the poor. Starts talking about immigrants. It's great. Social justice. Very important. You're using this to avoid your own personal issues. Okay? Another way of abusing the church. <clears throat> okay, so third, third point. What this comes down to in the big picture, my brothers and sisters, it's taking your personal issue and unloading it on the community. My brothers and sisters, I can't, as a minister, as a public figure who is dedicated to serving you guys, and we're talking about how the firemen serve the community and so on, I can't have personal issues that I use the community to basically work them out. Okay, at the expense of the community. It's like, you know, I've got all of this garbage, it's my own personal garbage or waste, and I go and I dump it in your lawn, and now I make it your problem. Complete abuse of a position that's meant to be one of service. Okay? So, you know, listen, young guys and their teens, they might have some kind of a little confusion with their sexual orientation. They might experience deep-seated same-sex attraction. Okay. It's not terrible. You're not a terrible person. It's not, the, it's not your fault. But you have a personal issue. You have a personal issue, that's all. And you need to work it out and come to grips with it on your own time, at your own expense, and take responsibility for it for yourself with the help of disinterested friends and family. And we are failing men and women with same-sex attraction, we're failing them as a, as a church. I know it. Would these people really need help? They don't have a community to turn to. They feel isolated, alienated. All right? So that, that's a problem. It really is. But nonetheless, they've got to recognize that they have a personal issue. And they've got to deal with it. They can't unload it on society and change the rules of the game. So now it becomes society's fault. Their personal problem is now everybody else's fault. Okay? And the worst of it is when it comes into the priesthood. 
So I'm, I'm kind of disoriented. I go into the seminary, and then I, I have these vipers latch themselves on me, and they turn me into one of them, so it becomes a, a nest of vipers. They, they seduce me and induct me into this nest of vipers. And now it's all our personal issues, and we're unloading them on the community and sucking up the community. And we're working, we're using the priesthood as a secret, and the celibate institutes, an institute of celibacy as a secret hideout for corruption and for immorality. My brothers and sisters, this is abuse of something incredibly holy. So some people might say, well, look, is there something issue with celibacy? Like maybe we should just do with the celibate, do away with the celibate priesthood. It's not the answer. The celibate priesthood is a powerhouse of energy for the good of the church. The true gift of celibacy that is given to a man, it is a fire of love that burns so intensely it eclipses any other kind of love, love of a woman, love of a family, love of children, because it's so intense. And it is a powerhouse of energy for the upbuilding of the body of Christ. And it harnesses the natural instincts of a man to love and to protect those who are vulnerable. It harnesses those natural good instincts and it elevates them and it directs them for the good of the community with whom he has now a sort of spousal and fatherly relationship. Okay, so all those, those natural masculine energies need to be there and they're supernaturalized for the good of the community. That's what the gift of celibacy is and it is the glory of the Catholic Church and of the Catholic priesthood. It's a holy thing and it is the powerhouse energy that has spread the Catholic religion across the globe. Okay? And these men have abused the celibate institution of celibacy. They have abused it. They have used it as a clubhouse or a hideout to shield all their weird antics. Now someone might say, hey look, you know, you're going to get back to the black now thing. Hey look, you know, look, homosexuality and pedophilia are two different things. Why are you, why are you blaming this pedophilia pro- uh, problem on homosexuality? Okay, you're right, they're two different things. And one is not nearly as bad as the other. Okay, that's true. But you know what? There's a little bit of a gray slippery slope going on here. Okay? Human sexuality that's not properly ordered, it gets a little weird. You can slide from, you know, being attracted to an 18-year-old to being attracted to a 13-year-old. Alright? A slippery slope, number one. Number two, it's about blackmail. Okay? Do you think a hierarchy of priests who are engaged in same-sex attractive activity with consenting adults are going to have the moral fortitude to call out the pedophiles, to call them on the carpet and to hold them accountable for what they're doing? No. And it goes the same thing with, with the heterosexual activity amongst priests. Prostitutes, pornography, whatever it might be. The, the These guys have pulled the carpet out from under their feet. They... The bad conscience of the priest binds his tongue in the confessional. It binds his tongue from the pulpit, and it disenables him from actually working for the uprooting of this nest of vipers that is sucking the life out of the church. So, my brothers and sisters, um, I'm going to call it an end here. I'm <laughs> sorry, I was going to intense homily. All right. Um, The faithful, you, 
have a right to holy priests. You have a right to holy priests. And I don't know if I can. If I could, I would apologize on behalf of the priests. But I don't know if I can do that, you know? I don't know. If I could, I would. I'm very sorry. There's been a serious letting go of responsibility that is very, very serious. You know, I talk about humanity. I want to preach to the laity about chastity issues, but how can I do that when the clergy don't got their act together in that area? How can I do that? And, you know, I spoke about humanity a few weeks ago and the sexual revolution, the damage that the sexual revolution has done to our culture, to families, to marriage, to children. Okay? Just when the flood of that garbage was coming down the pike, just when the very men whom God placed on the earth to stand in its way and to oppose it and to defend the laity from that flood of corruption, just when they should have been there to stop it, they stepped aside and let it flow right into the church. More, they let it flow right through them. They helped it. Okay. And what happens to the priesthood in general? Vocations? You think a young man who has a true vocation, the priesthood, looking at a priestly fraternity that looks like that, is going to be inspired to become a priest? No way. He's going to say, those guys are weird. I don't want to, I don't want to become one of them. And so then the priestly vocations dry up. We don't have enough priests. And we start closing churches. Okay? Again, men working out their private issues at the expense of the community. This is what we're talking about. My brothers and sisters, what can be done? How can we, is there a way forward? First of all, please pray for holy priests and pray for me. Standing up here, not as this perfect person, okay? I have looked into the depths of my own heart and I have seen the potential of evil. Very, very deep potential of evil, okay? Through prayer, through meditation upon sacred scripture, through a regular celebration of the sacrament of reconciliation. I have formed my conscience, but I have looked into myself and I have seen the potential for serious evil. And the devil fights against priests like you wouldn't believe. So please pray for me personally so that I become a holy priest because you have a right to have a holy priest leading you. Please pray for me. Pray for all. We need holy bishops. We need holy priests. Um, let's pray that these guys who are being uncovered just come on out and spill the beans, totally. Okay, the ruse is up, buddy. You can redeem yourself and make amends at this point before you die and go to the judgment seat and, and have to answer to God. Right now, you can make amends, at least in part, by coming out totally. Tell us, how is it that you made your way all the way to the cardinalette? Who did you look with? Who else knows about your lifestyle? Tell everything. And help us clean up the church. At least you could do that. So we need to pray for that. Other people are talking about establishing lay-run commissions to hold bishops accountable. I think there's a way to do that. It probably would have to have people oversight. Okay, there's probably a way to do that. I think it's a good idea. The deepest thing that we need to do, my brothers and sisters, is to say no more to corruption in my personal life, no more to corruption in our parish, no more. And we need to pray for renewal of holiness. We look to Mary... The incorruptible one. And we have confidence that God has endowed the church with a gift of incorruptibility. There is always going to be priests and bishops and laity who are holy. It is a gift that cannot be taken away from us by the devil. 
But that doesn't mean we don't do anything. We need to pray, we need to work to root out this sort of corruption. And we look to Mary, and we have a faith that holiness is possible because it's realized in her the most preeminent way. Holiness is possible. We cannot get lose hope or, or fall into despair. Blessed Virgin Mary, please pray for us.